The Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone, Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone. I hope you've been enjoying the Zaddy Zone. I certainly love making it. Today, I'm talking with Zachary Levi. What a peach of a man. There were some technical difficulties, some sound on his end, because I'm never to blame. Uh, But other than that, please enjoy. You are, here's the thing about you, you're the more glistening, gorgeous version of me. I don't know about that, bro. I see your Instagram, all your rippling muscles, all your workouts. Please. You're glowing right now. How are you glowing? Well, I I just have more melanin in my skin, bro. Um, oh, I, I, <laughs> you're just a, a white Australian. Um, I And also, I just got off the river. I was on this five-day uh, river rafting trip in Idaho uh, that Amazing. I just got back from yesterday. Lots of sun. Got lots of sun. Got tan. <laughs> that's good that is a really good aussie slash um, um new zealander accent when you said tan, that, tan? that's how yeah. my that's that's how my mother-in-law says tan i've got a tan here isn't it fantastic <laughs> i love the nuances between australian and new zealand like they're they're very they're to, to the untrained ear you know it's very difficult to hear them but if you listen to enough of like Flight of the Concords, you really start picking up on all those differences, which is really fun. Murray from Flight of the Concords, the manager, he yeah. is the the ultimate New Zealand accent of which he's yeah. very much here all, all the time, isn't he? And I I mean, I, he is who I always do when I do New Zealand. It's Murray from Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Zach, let me, let me introduce you and then we'll get stuck into this baby because uh, I'm keen to get into it. Yeah. Zachary, is it Zachary Levi or Levy? It's not a great Levi. Start. Levi. Levi. That's what I've been telling everybody. It's Levi. Zachary Levi is an incredibly versatile actor. You may know him from the hit show Chuck. He was on Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, Tangled American Underdog, and of course, Shazam. Now, Zach, who is clearly annoyingly talented and glowing, has written a book. It's called Radical Love. And it turns out he's really annoyingly good at writing too. Radical Love is a memoir about Zach's battle with mental health, but it's also a call to action to face ourselves head on with radical honesty, radical forgiveness, and radical love. Zach, g'day. G'day! How you doing, Loki? Mate, I'm so blown away by your book. I really, I I love it so much because I related to it so much, but it was so funny when your team sent over your bio, it said about Zach Levi, and I read through all of your career achievements, and I thought, yeah, but isn't it ironic? Because when you read the book, it's all about how all of that, all those career achievements of yours, of which there have been many, didn't fulfill you. Yeah, it, it, it's really, um, you know, it's actually one of the things that I, one of the more common um, kind of comments that I get from people, which is, I had no idea, you know, but I, but I, I think that's pretty common of most people that are dealing with depression, I mean, or, or anxiety. Most, you know, because we're all living our own lives. You can't expect everyone to know what you're going through anyway, particularly if you're not talking about it. I wasn't talking about it that much. I didn't even know I was struggling with it. But most of the people who know me um, know upbeat, extrovert, gregarious, you know, cutting it up Zach, because that's who in my healthier moments or in my better moments or whatever, that's who I esteem to be. And also a lot of people, they know me through either through my work, like actually watching it or, you know, the, the behind the scenes of that, like, you know, when I'm doing press and as I talk about in the book, I'm always in a pretty good place if I'm working, 
if I'm on a set, I'm happy because I am, I have purpose. I have, I have routine. I am getting my little hits of dopamine. I'm accomplishing, uh, mm. even offset. If I'm promoting something, I'm, I'm getting the same thing. So all of these people normally get the healthier, happier version of who I am or who I was. And, you know, and a bio kind of is a, a really interesting distillation of that. It's like, yeah, look at all, here's the hit list. Here's, here's, here's the, here's, here's the highlights. And yet, as I, as I talk about in the book, you know, those things ultimately, while they buoyed me in the moment, and I was so stoked for them and grateful for them in the moment, that all peters off eventually. And you're, you're left feeling like, all right, well, I guess I failed. I guess, unless, and I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure there are some more well-adjusted actors than I was, or, you know, I, I, I think I'm getting there, but you know, that, that recognized that their worth wasn't directly tied to their work. In fact, I think I know a couple of them, these unicorns, whoever the fuck they are. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't me, you know, I, for me, the only way that I could even fathom looking at a successful career was never stopping working and only going upward. And you do this movie that then puts you into a category where you now you get to these movies and now you're in this category and now you're doing these movies and now you're working forever and you get to work with Spielberg and Zemeckis and you know, Scorsese and all the great directors and all the other great actors. That's the only version of actual success. Uh, at least it was in my mind because everything short of that was still leaving me feeling like, well, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess I'm not a part of the cool kid club, which to be perfectly honest, I still very much feel that way. I don't, I, I'm not, it doesn't bankrupt my soul as much as it, it used to, but even with all the things that I've gotten to do, I still feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I don't feel like I've been invited to whatever that cool kid table is. And maybe I never will. You know, that's fine. I mean, I, my career has still been so insanely blessed. So it's a matter of trying to just find the gratitude and the happiness in that. However, And it, it may be that you get invited to the cool kids club and you don't know it. Like you're in it and you don't know it yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe you get invited to the cool kids club and you fucking hate it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be or hoped it would be. Or it is what you thought and hoped it would be. And you're still not happy yes. because it, even that wasn't enough. And, and truthfully, if you're always chasing after the next thing to finally be enough, then chances are you're never going to get there. It's just this endless cycle. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, were you surprised? I mean, when you're at your at your lowest point, uh, mental health-wise, were you surprised at how well you could switch on the Zach Levi persona and smile? And like, I, I noticed a through few times throughout the book where you go out in public going through anxiety and depression, and yet you switched it on and you could be really good with people. Were you surprised at how well you could do that when you were at your lowest? Uh, I, in some ways, I think, yeah. Um, because I've always, it's weird. I mean. I, I I like to think of myself as and try to carry myself as my most authentic self. I don't like faking it. I don't like putting on facades. In fact, I I'll run from that as quickly as possible, whether it's in myself or in other people. If I feel like I'm getting a false version of who they are, and in Hollywood, you get a hell of a lot of that, as you know. 
So on one hand, I I was surprised by it because of that. But then again, all of those times I was able to turn it on or 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 get there or whatever were helped by there was a purpose in it. By the way, even if that purpose was a moment of just a person wanting to say, oh my gosh, I really loved your work in an X or Y, that at least was a moment of purpose to go and make that person smile, to go bring some happiness to them in that moment, you know, mm. which is honestly one of the coolest things about this job. As somebody who, since I was a little kid and learned at four that around four, probably where it was when it first dawned on me, I could intentionally make someone laugh. And I knew a laughing person was a happy person and they felt good. And I became addicted, like immediately. I, I just, I wanted to feel that. I wanted them to feel that. And I wanted to feel them feeling that all the time. And then of course, the very natural transition is to take that into <laughs> do theater and start being an actor and all that. Yes. It's still one of my favorite things. I, I love the fact that we, given these ridiculous jobs that we get to do and the fan bases that support these jobs and the amount of passion that they have for these things, for them to get the chance to just meet us, to just be like, oh my God, you have no idea. I love this so much. And, and you know, it's, it's easy to to look at somebody like that and be like, you really like it that much? Like, well, I don't know. Why would you like this that much? You know, because we lived it or whatever. And also we see behind the curtain how all the sausage was made. But it's amazing. We have this little, we have these little magic powers to go and take a little photo with somebody, to go sign something for them. And that can, that they'll float on that for a week, a year, who knows how long. And it's a simple little gesture of ours that we get to do. You know, so, so I think, I think that in, you know, many moments, most of the moments, where I was able to kind of get there to being more happy-go-lucky Zach, I at least had some fuel for that fire. There were very few times, and probably those few times when I didn't have the fuel were the times when I really couldn't get there. You know, I mean, there were times when, even even when I had somebody who was being very kind to me, it still felt inauthentic. It felt like, why would you like me? Because I don't like me. And then it makes you feel even worse because you're like... Why, why can't I get myself to think the way this person thinks about me? You know, I don't know. It's a, it's very fucked up the way it works in our heads, but. Kids with their cleft palates and you are looking upon these, a uh, single mom who lives in a shack with kids, with, with all these kids. And you're like, okay, how am I not happy? It's actually pathetic that I'm not happy given all that I have. What's wrong with me? And this is a self-loathing cycle that you're like, I am so ashamed that I am not happy yeah. because I've got so much and you have so, and then you like hate yourself even more. You know, it's, it's, you describe that a lot in the book. I thought it was excellent. I think that we don't allow ourselves to, to feel or healthily feel, I don't even know how you healthily feel depression, but we don't allow ourselves to go through these emotions oftentimes in a way to really process them because, or at least myself, I, I think I can speak for other people in this regard. It's like you're feeling low, you're feeling bad, you're feeling depressed, and then you try to have some kind of, you know, comparative uh, example to try and, if anything, hopefully pull you out of it and be like, okay, let's just count 
my blessings and I'm going to sit here in some gratitude and, and I'm going to, I'm going to think about all the things I have, you know, that other people don't, but oftentimes it just makes you feel worse about it because you're like, I should, you're now you're, now you're shooting on yourself. I should be so happy. I should, I mean, even, you know, before, right before I had my breakdown in 2017, when I was in the Philippines and I thought my career was shit. I was like, I, I've not accomplished all of these things. I've missed out on all these other jobs. I haven't had the faith in myself that I needed. I, I'm no good. I'm, you know, I've missed the boat on so many of these other things. But I was literally living the dreams of so many other people that would have given their left arm to trade places. And you think about that and then you go, wow, you're a real fucking schmuck. You're a real schmuck that you can't see. Like not just see, but like feel the blessings that you have right now. And it is, it's a very weird self-fulfilling prophecy of spiral down to garbage. Um, and the Philippines was a very stark uh, example of that because the, you know, this woman had nothing. They had nothing. They were living out in the middle of nowhere in these farm fields in this teeny little, not even a village. I mean, it was all of these workers of, I mean, I guess they, could, they would probably call it a village, but there was all these workers that would work these agricultural fields. And they had these total, like, just thrown together stick and, like, tarp, if they were lucky, uh, roofs, and complete dirt floors. There was nothing. It was dirt. And yet, here she was sweeping it just to take pride in it, to be like, well, I'm, I, I might just have a dirt floor. I'm going to make sure I don't have any sticks or rocks laying around in my house. And I just started looking at all this. Man, it just broke my heart. It broke my heart for them, first and foremost, because I, you know, I, I don't know. Ever since I was a kid, man, I've, I've just had a lot of empathy for people and um, to look at people in poverty, like really abject poverty is rough, dude. It's, you know, it's anywhere you go in the world. It's, it's one of the reason why I've I've hesitated going to India because I know from all my friends who have ever traveled there, it's like, yo, just prepare yourself. Like that caste system and like how all of those people end up falling to the bottom and the untouchables and all of the panhandling and kids with like missing limbs. And I mean, I just, it, it's overwhelmingly sad to me. So already that's hitting me. And then that just gets amplified by, and I'm a schmuck. I have a wonderful home. I have a car. These people are barely making it around. They have to, you know, hitch rides on the back of pickup trucks or take a donkey or, I mean, it's ridiculous. But it, I think it's a, I think it just goes to show you that it's not a matter of what you have. It's how you see it. You know, my, I couldn't look at what I had correctly. It, and, and I might not, I might've had even less. I might've had, you know, I, I might have been you know, hand to mouth on my paychecks or whatever it was and just trying to scrape by. But if my mental health was stronger and healthier and loved myself, then I would have had a clearer way of being able to see all of that and be like, yeah, I don't have everything that I wish I would have had. But, you know, damn, I'm a good guy and I'm proud of myself and I'm working hard and I'm doing the best that I can. So it's really so much about your perspective on, you know, all, on all of it. Mm. Do you have any advice for people who are in, in those self-loathing spirals? Um, it's hard when you don't love yourself, but there's always probably a way to self-criticize without self-loathing. Is there, a, is there, are there any tips for people who are like that? 
like how did you find your self-talk to become when you finally did love yourself? Well, I mean, I'm still I'm still working on it. Uh, you know, like I'm five years ago, or not even five, about four and a half or four and three quarters, I don't know, almost five years ago, uh, was when I had this breakdown and I went to this life-saving therapy. But that means I'm a toddler in this process. I, I've only been understanding that I didn't love myself, let alone trying to practice it for, you know, just under five years and my self-talk and how horrible all that was. And so, I mean, first and foremost, I think the thing that we have to remember is that we're all products of our environment and you've got to give yourself a break. You got to give yourself a fucking break. And in doing so, it'll help you to start giving other people a break. We're all so quick to want to judge, you know, and it starts with ourselves and then it goes out from there. And and a lot of that, you know, our, our self-talk is really all rooted in, by and large, it's how our parents talk to us. If our parents talk to us in a certain way, we echo, we mimic, we mirror the way they talk to us. Some people had, you know, not so traumatizing childhoods where their parents might have, you know, no parents are perfect, obviously, but, you know, a lot of parents did a, a good job at modeling self-love and, or, or rather even just giving love that helped that child to love themselves. They had firm boundaries, but still had a soft blending. If the child messed up or whatever, there wasn't just this whiplash anger that might come out. Um, and therefore they get into their adulthood and they have a much better, easier time working through those cobwebs because they're already self-talking on a much healthier level. For those of us who don't, or those who do, by the way, I think it's really important to remember that, or at least I believe, and I think a lot of other people do too, um, and to quote a book um, uh, called The Untethered Soul, we are not the voice of our mind, we are the one who hears it. And that's been said many times in many ways by many, many very wise uh, and intelligent people. But it's really important to remember that our self-talk is not, not even our own voice. Like, and by the way, not even always necessarily our parents' voice that's ringing in our head, but they're all, all manner of shit flying through our heads. So many crazy thoughts. I mean, I was talking about this recently. You know, you ever drive along a road? Uh, this happens to me all the time. I'm like driving along a windy road. By the way, not a, a suicidal thought, just like random thoughts. You're driving along a windy road and you're looking like over the cliff and you're like, damn, that's a really far way down. And you're thinking, what if I, what if I, you know, what if I just pulled the wheel right now? Not that you want to, not that you're going to do it, but those scenarios run through your head or like going to a show, a, a play or a comedy show or some live deal and you're sitting in the audience and you have the thought, what if I just got up right now and I ran all the way down the aisle and onto the stage and went and then like ran out the back of the theater. What would happen? I have those thoughts all the time. I don't know why I have those thoughts other than because it's not, it's not me like seriously actively wanting to do that or whatever. It's just yeah. our minds are these incredible flesh supercomputers that are constantly having thoughts that are not controlled by us, that are not manifested by us, but rather all the weird ones and zeros all clashing together and doing weird things. So it's super important, whether your mental health is strong or not, it's always important to remember, I'm not always the one in control of everything that's going on up here. 
But particularly, it's important to remember that if your self-talk and your mental health are bad, because that's the first big lie. The main lie that it consistently tells you and the biggest lie that it tells you, the darkness, the darkness will lie to you and tell you, you are alone. You are uniquely broken. There is no one and nothing that will pull you out of this. So, you know, might as well just give up now. That's not you. That's not even your parents. That is the darkness. And I really do believe that there is a darkness. I can't, I don't know that I would name it even. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, a lot of friends within the, the Judeo-Christian kind of lineage would call it the enemy or Satan or whatever that is. And, and perhaps it is, perhaps that's what it is. I, I, I wonder, having gone through my mental health journey, I wonder how much Satan even needs to, to work, given how horrible we treat ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know that the, like the enemy's just like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just I'll chill right now because they're already doing my job. Uh, and we do. Our minds are so capable of lying to ourselves and shitting on ourselves. And so we have to take those thoughts captive. And that's, that's what I would say, you know, the first bits of advice of anybody who's trying to really get through their self-talk, like make that a better thing. As soon as you start to speak ill of yourself, as soon as you start to, you know, shoulda, coulda yourself or shame yourself or blame yourself or whatever it is, immediately stop. Immediately recognize that that is not true. It's just not true. No, even your parents, like even my parents who were very psychologically abusive, they didn't mean to be. If they were here right now and mm-hmm. were you know, hopefully more well-adjusted, but even if they weren't, they, they wouldn't want me to want to die. You know, that's just all of that stuff. That's all, all of the nonsense. So take your thoughts captive and we're capable of doing it. It's hard when you're depressed, obviously, but that's just a hormone imbalance. I probably had a dopamine deficiency most of my life and had no idea that I did. And only through Huberman and people like that, you know, have I learned so much about this stuff being like, oh my God, that's why I couldn't get out of bed. That's why when I was depressed, I was incapable of getting my ass out of bed and doing anything. Sadness equates, you had no dopamine in your body, Zach. It was all gone. It was all gone. And therefore I had nothing to motivate me, nothing to encourage me to get up and move and go. So that, you know, just understanding the concept. Really, the biggest thing I would encourage anybody to do, first step is go talk to somebody. Go find a therapist immediately. We all need one. Everybody does. Particularly the people who don't think they do. Everybody needs a little bit, at least a little bit. And a lot of us needs a, need a lot of it. And, and that's okay, you know? Yeah, I think I'm similar to you in that way in that I'm a very smiley, positive person. And everyone who meets me is like, ah, that, that isn't here, breath of fresh air. And it's like, look, you, you think I'm not capable of the darkness? You know, you think you think that my brain, I think the thing is about like self-talk is that your brain is brilliant. You can go to bed at night and your brain is like, let's pluck the, the most fucked up thing we can say to this person out of nowhere and go, hey, aren't you pathetic? And you're like, and you believe it. That's how brilliant your brain is. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think yeah. it's, it's super interesting what you're talking about. It takes a lot of respect. It takes go, going, okay, I have to, I have to respect this this bad side of myself, this evil part of my brain, because it's super smart. But at the same time, it is not you, and it is not talking about you. Yeah, it, it's really fascinating how both powerful and fragile our minds are. 
mm-hmm. uh, and the respect you're talking about. We don't. We don't respect that idea. We don't respect that concept. We we all kind of think I got it. Like my brain isn't going to think or do anything that I'm not in controlling, right? We don't want to ever believe that we couldn't be out of control of our brains. You know, maybe under the influences of some substances or whatever that might be, somebody might acknowledge, okay, I'm not, I'm maybe I'm a little not in control right now. <laughs> but if you're not, if you're just stone cold sober, no one wants to acknowledge that they're not fully in control of themselves. But you have to, you have to acknowledge it. You have to respect that. And it doesn't mean uh, you're being led around and, oh my God, I'm going to go do this crazy thing. Yeah, It's mostly always just this cerebral battle that then ties directly to your emotions that you're, that you're fighting. But You've got to respect the fragility of your mind. And again, that can come down to literally just having your hormones imbalanced a little bit. And, you know, things that you talk about on your Instagram and on Zaddy Zone, you know, the kind of, I, I hate to use the term life hacking, but it's, you know, it kind of is that nowadays. It's like, you want, you want to feel better? Get some sleep. You want to get some sleep? Respect your circadian rhythm, you know? Yeah. But we don't. We think, no, 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 no. I'm going to wake up when I wake up. I'm going to do what I want to do in the morning. I'm going to eat how I want to eat. I'm going to, you know, not meditate, not pray, not any of that. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go to bed whenever I want to. And then I'm going to have the sleep that I get and, and not recognizing that even that, I mean, sleep. Wow. What an incredibly important part of your mental health, but we're not taught that only now are we even really unpacking that idea, which is mind-boggling, but at least we are now. Yeah, but I mean, at least, you know, even though we can't control our lives, it's impossible to control our lives. COVID taught us all that. If you didn't know it before, you know it now. We are totally out of control of our lives. Maybe we can attempt to control our bodies a little bit. And even then it's very difficult to do because you see how hard it is to control the brain, the way that the brain can talk to you. But there are little things that you can do, like moving, for instance. Moving is a, your brain exists for your body to move. That is literally why you have a brain. And so how fantastic that is that you can go and do that, getting beautiful sleep, feeding your brain good foods so that it can operate on a, on a proper level, diving into like cold water, getting into a hot sauna. All of those things are great for the brain. And even though you won't have perfect control over your brain the whole time, you can, also, you can shift those few behaviors and have a brain that you can get along a bit better with because you know you're doing yeah. good for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with that, all those things you're you're doing such a service to your body by working out, moving, mm-hmm. eating well, sleeping well, cold plunge, sauna, all of these things. You're doing so right, so so well by your your body, but simultaneously and in turn creating such a healthier system, nervous system, cardiovascular system, neurological system. You're doing all of the things. Those are the things that you want to be striving, you know, toward. And again, I mean, shit, not that Winhoff and, you know, different people haven't been talking about these things for a little while, but mainstream, I mean, five years maybe in human history, have we really, you know, now like cold plunges are a thing that people are really starting to do. And it's not just some weird fringe thing of like, oh yeah, you ever go lay in ice water? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, this entire company, like their whole purpose is to make cold plunges. Yeah. And that was not a thing before, you know, so it's, it's really cool. It's really cool that we're finally coming around on this stuff. Yes, I I agree. I I wanted to ask you a question about your walk with God, because it is laid out in the book. What do you notice? What's your relationship with God like now? 
as opposed to what it was like when you're at the bottom? Mm. Mm. Great question. So, well, I'll go back even further. So my, my relationship with God started at a very, very, very young age, probably around the same time I was figuring out that I could entertain people or whatever, you know, that your brain around four, at least for me, was starting to grasp larger concepts, become more aware. And and I think around that same time was when I was really starting to grasp the concept of God. And, you know, going to Sunday school or, you know, whatever it was. I grew up in a Christian household, although a very, very different type of Christian household, which which I'll get to. But I, so I think at a very, very young age, I really did genuinely, not just like, I think I believed in God, but like, I, I know that I did. I know that I, I had a deep faith and I can't explain why. I, I, I don't know where that came from, but I know that I had it and it's, and it's been with me my whole life. And then I grew up in a home. My mom and dad were both Christians, but my dad was much more of a kind of religious, more liturgic, like, Church every Sunday, teaches Sunday, by the way, sometimes multiple times a week, not just Sunday, teaches mm-hmm. Sunday school, uh, sings in the worship band. Like, you know, he was very much, that was a huge part of his identity. Yeah. My mom and dad divorced. We grew up with my mom. My mom, on the other hand, was kind of a polar opposite. My mom, as I talk about in the book, she was a very spiritual, you know, like speaking in tongues and uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of Christian, but had huge problems with authority and didn't really like going to church. She grew up Catholic for a long time. And she and my dad had met in a church down in LA that ended up becoming like a crazy cult. And so she just, she had a lot of misgivings about it all, which I have a lot of weird misgivings about all that stuff too, because there are a lot of, you know, people of God, be they pastors or priests or whatever, that are really fucked up people who uh, mislead and betray a lot of folks and not because they're evil, but because they themselves are broken and they really need some help. But we growing up with our mom, like never went to church, but you know, God was always talked about in our home. My mom would have, you know, friends over my mom's dad and they'd have wine and they'd be praying and speaking in tongues and talking about bigger concepts and stuff. So I was always around that stuff. And then when I graduated high school, I started to just go pursue God on my own uh, because I didn't want to just believe something because my parents believed it. It just didn't seem like a really great way to go live your mm-hmm. life, you know? Um, so I started going to church and checking out some different ones and found some really great community and found some, you know, really great growth and learning through through a lot of that time. And then ended up in LA and um, went to various churches in LA, but honestly didn't really resonate with most of them. And I think a lot of that just had to do with the fact that I... Um, I don't know. Church just started becoming like this hyper produced, like it's, you know, I I would call it the God show. You're not showing up and breaking bread and getting deep. It's like, come on in everybody. And there's like big screens and lights and, you know, gobos spinning around. I mean, there were multiple churches I went to in LA that had a jib arm camera that was sweeping over the audience and getting everybody reactions. Like what the fuck? are we doing? What are we doing? Why are you doing this? Also, this is where all your tithe money goes to this. Shouldn't, shouldn't we all just be doing this and then taking a lot of that money on helping people that are less fortunate mm-hmm. anyway? 
So it kind of gave me a weird taste in my mouth. And then I, there was a men's Bible study that I did in LA for quite a few years. And we had a great community that built around that. And then that kind of moved into a home church that on my house for 10 years. And that was way more my speed. It was just like legitimately just people gathering and uh, you know, being community and talking about God and trying to get into, into, you know, deeper understanding of it all and learning and growing and not feeling like we have all the answers, you know, because um, we don't, we just fucking don't. Nobody does. I don't care <laughs> who you are. I don't care what religion you represent. You do not have all the answers. Let's all have a little more humility. Um, and so, yeah. so that was, that was kind of where that was. And my, my faith continues to evolve my concept of, you know, of mm-hmm. God and God's nature and character and history and all of that are things that I continue to challenge and continue to want to understand on a deeper level. And then came the darkness. And um, after, you know, 37 years of having basically, not that there weren't moments where I was in other darkness and had questions or questioned my faith. Five years ago, when I moved out here to Austin and had my breakdown, I... I really felt, I really believed that God called me to make this move. I, I felt it so strongly. I was so connected that my life was building to a greater purpose, which was to m- build this studio out here, this kind of new United Artist studio, and make a better world and make make a better Hollywood that makes a better world. And it's been on my heart since I was brand new, probably even before I worked in the business, but certainly I started working in the business 20 now plus years ago. And I really felt this was my calling. And so I did it. I moved out. I bought this land. I was like, let's go, God, let's go. And not only has that not happened yet, it certainly didn't happen as fast as I hoped it was going to happen. But I felt very alone. I felt like I had been abandoned, but not just by my friends and family, but by God, because I didn't understand what the hell I was doing out here if doors were not going to open. And I know what it's like to have doors just miraculously spiritually open in my life. Like I know that there there are things that you don't even have to put that much work into or any at all. It's not a matter of the work. It's not your work that needs to be done. It's God asking you, go move. And when you move, that faith is the activator because you need to go do that first. And so it not kind of manifesting, it not just becoming the thing that I thought I was so convinced I was supposed to do. And then on top of that, not only was it not manifesting, mm-hmm. but I was completely falling apart and getting consumed by the darkness and all of it. And uh, I mean, man, I was screaming, yelling out for God, top of my lungs, like so alone, so lost, having no idea what to do not wanting to live. And that, yeah, that was, that was probably um, the only moment I can really think of throughout my life where I legitimately came after all those years, I legitimately came to a point where I just, I couldn't believe anymore because this is what believing brought me uh, and where it brought me. Then maybe that was just some bullshit that I was, you know, manufacturing between my own ears and didn't really have the validity that I, always believed that it did. Now, having gone through this life-saving, life-saving therapy that I went through and that one of the most critical people in that journey was this Christian woman, pastor's wife, 
who happened to work at this place that I was getting treatment at, who at the risk of losing her own job, prayed me and loved me back to life because it was a spiritual or Christian place that I went to go get this, this work that got me back. It, it, she, she, she lit the pilot light of self love in me. God used her very, very clearly to help mm-hmm. me understand how to at least start to love myself again and believe that I was worthy of loving myself. And now coming out of that, my faith is strong, very strong, back to being strong again, but has definitely evolved. It's, it's less, I think I've come to terms with the idea that you might feel very convicted about certain things in your life. You might pick up and move across the country and try to go accomplish things. And you might even feel like God was saying, yeah, go do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean God's going to do that. It means he's going to use whatever it takes to get you to move, to go get to another place, which I needed to get to. I needed to fall apart. And I didn't know that I needed to fall apart. And I would not have fallen apart the way that I fell apart if I never left LA. If I would have stayed in the comfort of my home, I lived in for 13 years in Studio City, that was dialed in and fine. And I would just keep living in LA and then that perfect weather. And I'd see my friends and I'd have my routine and I'd get work here and there and whatever it was, I never would have gotten to the point of completely falling on my knees. And that's what we need to do. And we need to do it. If you're not going to do it on a regular basis, (laughs) like every day on some level, fall to your knees in gratitude and trust, humility, gratitude, and trust. Those three things I think are the most important, active uh, words that we as human beings need to apply when it comes to moving forward in our relationship with God, the universe, that power, that energy, that spirit. We have to come at it with humility. We have to come at it with gratitude and we have to come at it with trust. And if we do that on a, on a daily basis, recognizing that just because you get some crazy ideas doesn't necessarily mean God's like, yeah, I'm going to make it all happen. And it's going to be easy as pie and blah, 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 blah. No. You are you. You need to learn and grow through all of it, and I really do believe, in hindsight, that that was all part of it. And so, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's really easy to feel like, um, oh, that's why, you know, where it all worked out the way it was supposed to work out. But I really do believe, having gone through what I've gone through, that that was all part of what this journey was supposed to be for me. Yeah, yeah. I look if there's if nothing else, well, no, not if nothing else, the way that your book is and this experience that has allowed you to write this book and then illuminate your struggle, which so many people have, if nothing else, that is what this is for. It is to strengthen you in your walk with God. And then you get to spread that to people. And it spread to me and it hit me um, in a very beautiful way. And um, it also teaches me that I am not immune to such things, that it's entirely possible that I could go through something like that. If you were to challenge me and ask me, what's one supplement I should take? Don't get me to take a whole bunch of things. I just want one. I would tell you AG1. Why? Because it is a whole food multivitamin and when you drink it first thing in the morning, by 8 a.m., you've got all of your vitamin needs for the day minus vitamin D. We'll get to that. It is, AG1 is as cheap as chips. It's cheaper than chips. Chips are five bucks, right? For one big packet of Doritos or whatever. Can you believe that? Doritos, five bucks. I don't want to talk about it. 
$3 a day for AG1. But here's the thing. You know the vitamin D thing that I mentioned before? There's no vitamin D in it. But if you sign up using my link, you'll get a free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Um, What I love about this product is I gave into peer pressure when I got it first time because I told you Professor Andrew Huberman, David Sinclair, Max Lugavere all used it. I was like, yeah, they're smarter than me. I'm going to get it. And I haven't regretted it, and I don't think you will either. So check it out. Here's a story for you, Zach, because uh, we're getting yelled at to wrap up. So uh, here's a story for you. We have we have friends in common, and their names are Johnny and Virginia, and they got married uh, about ten years ago when I first moved to LA. And I it was at a they, I had a reception at a place called Hemingways. I wasn't invited to the wedding, but I worked at Hemingways. I was a busboy. And you were at the wedding. I think you were blonde at the time. I was. And you came in and there was, yes, and there was a team of fellas around you. They were all hanging on your every word of which you explained. You were telling them about your investment portfolio. And I was there, a minimum wage busboy, listening in to you. I knew who you were. And I was like, I hate this guy. (laughs) I was like, I, this guy, I, I. I'm just so resentful. I was so resentful and bitter about you. I was like, look at this working actor. He's exactly where I want to be. And here am I working as a busboy. And then now today, fast forward, and I've realized that you are my inspiration. I think I'd really like to be a bit more like you. That's that's very kind. Um, No, seriously. Um, Well, I... um... I don't, I, I, I can't recall what conversation was going on because I really don't have an investment portfolio. So I might, I don't know that I was talking about that. I might've been talking about something else. Um, but, um, but I, 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 well, first of all, I can totally relate to those feelings. I mean, even when I was a working actor, like I was saying, I was still looking at these other people that I, I was so envious of. I was so like, why can't I get to where that is? You know, I mean, you know, for example, like Chris Evans and I did, we did a pilot together years ago. It was like one of our first jobs. And to watch him just go whoop, gone. I'm like, what the fuck? Like what the actual yeah. fuck? There was all these, these just moments in my career where I, 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 I was like, fuck that. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know how to get there, but it's fucked that he's there and I'm not there, whatever it is. But I'm glad that through your journey, you know, genuinely, I, I mean, uh, you're such a fucking talented and funny guy. I, what, the irony is that you and I have never actually met in person, and yet we interact on Instagram like all the time. And we have so many friends in common. But I love what you put out there, man. I, I'm so grateful that you continued on that path, that you've continued to build a very healthy career, and you are continuing to use your talents and your heart and your mind to help a lot of people and you are and it really does it, it, it genuinely touches me to to have you say that because um you know we 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 got very little time at the end of the day we don't have that much time on the planet and uh not that you're gonna please everybody uh, obviously we're not there's gonna be people that are always gonna think fuck this guy <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, but I'm grateful that uh, in your memories, in your journey, I went from being somebody that had that connotation to somebody who is hopefully bringing you know, some more love and light into your life. That means a lot. You definitely do. I want to encourage everybody listening to this, go and buy Radical Love. You, We will link to it in the show notes. Go and buy it at your local bookstore. It's a sensational read and it shines a really important life on mental health. And Zach does a stellar job of writing it. Also, Shazam! Fury of the Gods is coming out. When does that come out? Yeah, December 21st, man. It's really cool. We, we, we shot it all. Uh, we were supposed to come out next June. And then the higher ups at Warner Brothers and DC were so pleased with what we made that they're like, you know what? Pull that baby up. We're going to make you a Christmas movie. Yes. So I'm super pumped about that. Um, I think the movie, I mean, I'm pretty proud of everyone. I want to hear about like how you got in shape for it a little bit. We don't have much time, but you, you, you must have like worked out like a monster. Did you? Yeah. I mean, the first one, the first one was the hardest because I had, never put on that kind of weight before in my life. Um, I was always, you know, 200 pounds average, you know, like not, not heavy. Like that was just like my regular kind of standing average weight. And I'm six, four. So 200 pounds is not that much weight. if You're six, four. Um, and then for the first one, I would, I probably had about two months of, of runway. And then I was into, and then Mm -hmm. into more training in Toronto while we were shooting. Um, but I put on like 25 pounds in two months and that was really intense and really hard. And also it wasn't like 25 pounds of all muscle. Uh, I'm eating 5,000 calories a day and working out five, six days a week and, you know, doing my best. It has to be both. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and then for, and then, then for the second one, it was back to eating, you know, 45, 500 or so calories and working out four to five times a week or as much as I could just to maintain. I'm still holding on to a little bit of that from the first one. I mean, the, the irony is that, you know, they still put contour suits all over your ass anyway. It's like you can't, in the first one, my, my shoulders looked like I was like a football player from the 1930s. I'm like, guys, why are you making my shoulders so massive? Because I worked my ass off to yeah. actually get big for that but you don't even really see the fruit of your labor which is kind of a bummer um but anyway you know it is what it is and i'm just grateful that aside from the fact that it's just such a fun role to play and totally changed my life and the trajectory of my career and i'm so grateful for all of it it is really cool to have a reason outside of just i want to be healthy like have that extra bit of fire of like, oh no, you want to go get ripped because you should go get ripped because you're going to go be a superhero. And I even knew, I knew that the contour suits were, you know, a thing and everybody uses them and blah, blah, blah. But I knew also I'm going to have to go promote this fucking movie. And if I go promote the movie and I'm twig, people are going to be like, that's ridiculous. But if I go promote the movie and I've actually still got some size on me, people will, you know, uh, allow me a little bit more grace. So it was great. It was great to, to have all that go down. And what about Flow Supplements? You own a supplement company. I do, yeah. So, well, when I was making the first Shazam and I was working out and taking all these supplements all the time and realizing that just so many of them are garbage. Their their ingredients are not that great or the ingredients are fine, but you're not getting most of those ingredients. You're getting filler. You're getting... Um, um, What's the word? There's a, there's a, there's a particular term for it. It's on the 
back of all the bottles. Um, uh, something uh, I'll, I'll, I'll text you later about it. But anyway, it's a bunch of filler. They're basically well. Also, that it's not it's not bioavailable to you. It's a trash sample, but it's just not going to be bioavailable. Yeah, to you. you can eat yeah. as, as much of it as you want. Yeah, yeah. And if it's not bioavailable, then you're not absorbing it. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I was complaining about this to one of my friends here in Texas, and saying, "Man, I just wish I could make my own supplements so I don't have to take this garbage." And he goes, "Well, I actually know a guy who's in the supplement game, uh, and if you want to have that conversation, we can, you know, maybe let, let's let's do that." And so I had that conversation. I said. You know, listen, I'd like to make supplements, not just for me, but I'm going to make them for me. Obviously, we're going to make them for as many people as we can. And I just want to make sure that they are the top, the most top quality ingredients at the absolute best price, like everything should be, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no filler. Um, oh, pr- proprietary, proprietary blend. That's what it's called. If you look on the back of oh. almost every supplement bottle, you'll see ingredient lists and it'll say proprietary blend. And that's just sawdust oh, i mean it's like it's just yeah. nonsense um yeah cornmeal also also yeah exactly also you know you get these tubs and they're a quarter full of the the shit that you're i'm like yeah. no we'd like i'd like to do better than that yes you know let's let's give them as much as we can whatever the the nozzle allows so that was our whole goal launched after the first shazam we do pretty good i mean we're we're a break-even company at the moment but we're now starting to get carried in GNCs, which is really cool. So I'm hoping that that on the brick and mortar side starts to pump up the brand a bit more. You know, like any startup, it takes a while and it takes blood, sweat, tears and a lot of money. And so, but even if we're just break even and we can just stay afloat, if I can keep providing our greens, our collagen, our protein, our our pre-workout, they're all very, very, very high level, top-notch product. And, And a lot of people, I've already been very helpful by them, so I'm pretty grateful for that too. Well, maybe you can send me some because I'm I'm in preparation for a role. It's the porn version of Shazam. It's called Jizam Fury of the Queefs. <laughs> Jizam what? Fury of the Queefs? Fury of the Queefs. <laughs> oh wow! So please well, send me. Some. I'll, I'll get on that. I'll get on I that. Get I need you that. to be. Re- you're going to be representing me in a the porn <laughs> version of me. I need you ripped. Exactly. I've absolutely loved having you on here, mate. You're an absolute joy uh, and appreciate you. As I've mentioned before, go get Radical Love. Get some flow supplements while you're at it. Zach Levi, thanks so much for joining us. Luke Cook, thank you so much for doing the Zaddy Zone and thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Pleasure. Please, if you can, rate and review the podcast. It helps us out so much.